Hi, everybody. I have some exciting news. I am launching a Substack. I know. I keep telling you how I'm not a writer, and I'm still not a writer, but I am going to be writing about reading over on Substack. The Substack is called Unstacked, and you can find it at tracythomas.substack.com. There will be free options every Friday. There'll be a bunch of weekly roundups, announcements, all the shit I'm into. And then if you want to upgrade yourself to the paid subscription, I'm going to have author interviews, bonus episodes, anticipated reads, book pairings, community chats, all sorts of stuff. So, If that sounds like something you'd be into, go to tracythomas.substack.com and join Unstacked. And of course, I've got a special offer for you. If you go to tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10, you get 10% off your first year membership of Unstacked. You have from now until April 4th to redeem. Again, that's tracythomas.substack.com slash the stacks 10 for 10% off Unstacked. Okay, that's enough. Let's listen to this episode. Welcome to The Stacks, a podcast about books and the people who read them. I'm your host, Tracy Thomas. And this week on The Stacks, we're doing something a little different. In light of the recent wave of book bannings all across America, I felt it was really important to spotlight what's going on. I have been really upset over everything I'm reading and hearing about, and so I wanted to take the time to address it on the podcast. Every single day this week, Monday through Friday, I'm talking to different people impacted by book bannings. My guests will range from educators and students to booksellers, politicians, and authors. Things have been moving really quickly in the book banning arena, and in an effort to be timely with our coverage of book bannings, we put together this whole mini-series in about a week. These five days of coverage is not comprehensive, but instead a way to highlight more voices and to remind us all what is at stake. Throughout the week, you'll also hear from some of my favorite authors and thinkers about their favorite banned books. Everything we talk about on today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. I also want to say, if you like what you hear, if you appreciate the work that I'm doing to create the Stacks every single week, please join the Stacks Pack on Patreon. The Stacks is a completely independent podcast, so without the support of listeners like you, there really is no show. You will get perks like our virtual book club and bonus episodes, and also you'll get to rest easy knowing your contribution makes the Stacks possible. So to join us, head to patreon.com slash the Stacks. All right, now let's get to today's episode all about the banning of books. All right, everybody, we are back for more conversations around banned books. I am joined today by a very special guest, Tamaya Wright, who is a student in Mississippi uh, in high school. And Tamaya has graciously agreed to speak to us today about their experiences with banning and everything. So Tamaya, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you for having me. I'm just so happy that we're able to chat. So I know that you're in high school now, so I'm sure this isn't maybe the most important thing going on in your life. I'm sure you have like much more interesting friend drama, but we won't get into that part today. Um, so can you just tell me a little bit about sort of what you think about this wave of book bannings? Is it something you've been thinking about regularly, talking about with your friends, anything like that? With book banning, we don't really have the issue in Mississippi, but I read up on it and I don't like how they ban the books because it keeps other people's voice out. 
with going on with sexuality, the race. In school, we're mostly learning about like the slavery of like World War II. We don't learn about life issues. So I feel like they shouldn't ban books for people, voices, and so other people can learn about each other more and we wouldn't have much commotion going on with violence because there's a lot of violence in the world. We wouldn't be attacking each other and white people and black people race, we would most likely get more alone with each other if Mm. we understood each other more often. Yeah. Can you think of any books that you've read in school where you felt like you learned a lot about people that were different from you that has like stuck with you? In school, I haven't really read many books because the books I read was mostly like the drama type books because those are only interesting books you can get out of the library. But over the summer with Mr. Woods, I have read a book called Long Division. It has mm. sexuality in there. Yeah. And that really stuck with me because he did, he was confused about what he was. He didn't really know if he liked it on this man, uh, the boy. So it was very much confusing with him. Yeah. So. Like around his sexuality, right? Yeah, around his sexuality. And it did have a little bit of race in it Mm -hmm. about a white man. And it was very much, he said that it was very much uncomfortable for him. So with racism, I don't like how people would go around going at white people because they really don't understand about the past issue. People continue to grow on to the past of what happened in slavery days. Mm. We People have fought for us today to read books. And by people banning books, that's keeping us from actually learning and fighting for what we want in life. Yeah, that's so true. Also, I love Long Division. It's one of my favorite books. It's so good, right? It's funny. Yes, it's funny. Very it's fun. really I liked funny. the first part of it. Yeah, me too. <laughs> me too. All things considered. Have you ever, you know, like seen the books that are being banned and ever sought any of those out, like to go try and find them to read them? Or are you sort of just, you know, not interested in what's being banned to read it? I'm interested in what's being banned to read. I just haven't really in like seen many books in Hattiesburg that have been banned because mm. it's issues at school with people's sexuality. It are it is, but we don't really get into books like that. We stay away. From, we ain't really invested in those type of books. Most kids now we're on social media about things that aren't really real. Just we attacked each other on social media. Nobody's mm. really into books. That's I why I want to be an author so I can bring those type of people into the world, get people off social media and let them learn the lessons in life. They're dealing with depression. They probably ban books about people who are depressed. Mm-hmm. People put those in books so kids won't feel alone. I don't want people feeling alone in the world. Yeah. So that's why being author and or continue to write things about that will help a lot with kids in the next generation after us. Yeah. So Yeah. I love what you're saying that, you know, the things are in the book so that the young people don't feel alone. I think that's so interesting that you that you're picking up on that because so many authors that I've talked to have told me almost that exactly. Like that they write the books so that other people, specifically young people, don't feel alone. If you let's just say where you are, they started banning books. How would you want your parents or your teachers or your guardians or the adults around you to talk to you about what was going on? Like, how would you want it to be brought up to you? I would want them to like actually sit down, like sit me down or Mm -hmm. 
like Kona School, I want the school to take control also. The school don't take control of many things mm-hmm. in Mississippi, so I would want it to be like a like a parent thing and for the school and for the community to come together to sit us down to talk about those type of books so it wouldn't really become an issue. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And do you feel like, do you feel like, what the books that are being banned, the books that have to do with the LGBTQ community, the books that have to do with racism and the Holocaust. Do you feel like that's the sort of stuff that you want to be reading? Like, what are the books that you want to read about? I want those to be the type of books I do read because being a 16 year old, it's a lot of things we don't know. We have Mm. to grow up learning from my parents and not learning from other people's perspective and hearing other people's voices so we look up to one person and sometimes that one person might be the wrong person. We hang around wrong crowds. And so me wanting to read those type of books, I would want to feel like not so distracted by the things that are going on in my real life. Mm-hmm. I want to learn about other people's life as well. Mm-hmm. How do you feel knowing that there's all these adults fighting about what you can and cannot handle that you've never met. It's kind of like they keeping us from the real world. I don't mm. like how it just always, they trying to control us. Yes, y'all have lived the life, but we need to start learning it from ourselves so we can grow into those adults and actually know how to t- teach our kids the same thing. And controlling is just, we understand that they're parents. We understand that they don't want their child to go out there and get hurt. Mm. But it's like, if y'all want us to grow, we have to also kind of grow out in the world and independently grow and fall down and pick ourselves up. Because mm. it's like, we understand that y'all are just being protective parents. Right. <laughs> Did you hear that, parents? You're just being protective, but you got to let your kids go do things. I have kids, but they're very young, so I don't know what it's like yet. But I imagine that you're right, that it's coming from a place of like wanting to protect young people. I spoke to a high school teacher in New Orleans and she was saying when she asked her students what they wanted to read about, they told her they wanted to read about relationships. They wanted to read about how to love other people, how to be in a relationship. And I'm just wondering, like, if you were going to pick one book to read in school, what would you want it to be about? What would you want to learn in school? I would mostly want to learn about suicidal because it's a lot of kids who go through it and Mm -hmm. it shouldn't happen that much. It shouldn't happen at all because it's not right for kids to go around the world just harming themselves by the things that happen to them. Just like with the relationship, people get down about that and we don't know how to handle that. So we just go straight to suicidal and depression. Mm. That's the type of books I want to read to help people like, because if you're reading something, you can actually learn from it and how you can use it to handle those type of things. Yeah. Have you ever read any good books that talk about suicide? Um, I read like one or two. I just don't remember the name of it, but I mostly find my books from watching movies. I mostly find my mm. inspiration from watching movies also, because it was like this one movie called The Cyberbullying. One of her friends was... um. One of her friends liked her, but she didn't know how to tell her. So she went behind her back uh, and made this fake account. And oh. it hurted her friend very much. Mm-hmm. And she started doing mean things to her friends. So 
by her doing that, it really hurt her. And she really liked this boy. So she couldn't know how to handle it. So she went straight to suicidal. She uh-huh. didn't know who to go to. She didn't know who to talk to. And it really hurted the parent to see their child like that also. So that was one of the like the things that inspired me to also want to read more books about suicidal and get into it. Yeah. The movie's called The Cyber Bully. Mm-hmm. It's, it's free out. on YouTube. You can oh. watch it on YouTube okay. anytime. See, you're a different generation than me. Us old people, we don't watch movies on YouTube as much. I, I got to go. I got to get in with what you guys are up to because I'm old and washed for sure. Do you I know that you read books in school. I know that like that's part of the curriculum. But do you get any free time to read books on your own? Yeah, I get free time to read books on my own. It's not really with Hasbro Public School District. We have a lot of free time to do things as long as we get our work done. Got so it. they don't keep us from the library. They don't keep us from doing things. Um, we just we can have free time to read. We have opportunities to go in the library and get books that we can find that's interesting to us. If it's isn't a, if it's not a banned book, we can right. watch it. We can read it. Right. So, what, what do you read in your free time? Can you think of any books you've really liked that you've read in your free time? I mostly only read books from Mr. Um Woods. I don't go <laughs> in the library like that. I just read books from Mr. Woods. So. Besides Long Division, I'm start. I'm going to start trying to read the um Black Book. Oh, Black Buck, love that book. Um, I'm trying to. Are you I pulling out the whole stack? One. Oh, Shallow Waters, awesome. Did you like that? I liked it very much. It really spoke to me. Yeah. So I was very interested in those two books. Yeah. But my favorite one that he has gave me was Long Division. That was Long, one of my favorite. Long Division is so good. Yeah. <laughs> that was one of my favorite. I reread it every time I do get the chance. Oh, I love that. Well, once you read Black Buck, just a shameless plug on my part, we have a whole episode with the author on the podcast. So you can go back and listen. He's very cool, Mateo. Anyways. Okay. Well, let me kind of wrap up with you. I don't want to take too much more of your time. For people who are in places where books are being banned, what do you think they should, adults, what do you think adults could be doing to support the students? I think the adults can like maybe try to get the kids to come together also to fight Mm. for the books. Mm -hmm. Like, I feel like they should do that. And also adults should try to take control of what, there and talk for their kids' voices so the kids can also have a voice for themselves about what books they should read. Like, nobody can control what they should and should not read mm. because they probably confused about every so much things. So the parents should also take control, not just the students sit around and just complain about what books don't, we are not able to read. We yeah. should also have the voice to do that. Yeah. So parents should take control in that situation. And what should the young people do? What should the students do to fight against the book bans? I feel like the best way is to get books, read a lot of books and like come together and get books that are banned and start just reading them, like reading verses like from the book, because that would be a good thing. And you might get in trouble for it, but it's like (laughs) a good thing you can do. Good trouble, good trouble. Yeah, you might get in some good trouble for it, but if it works, you'll probably have a 50-50% chance of you being able to read books that you want to read instead of the books that keeps us from the real world and hearing other people. 
multiple voices. Yeah. So for people who are listening at home, Mr. Woods, you might know from Instagram as a black man reading Achille Missouri, who is also a bookstagrammer and he is a teacher and a very smart guy. He's got a podcast as well called Books Are Pop Culture. And he's my dear friend and he helped set up this interview. And it's actually taking place right now in a classroom, which is so cool. I've never done an interview in a classroom. So I love that. But has Mr. Woods uh, ever had you read any Toni Morrison? No, ma'am. Not yet? Okay. Not you, yet. You tell him he needs to get you on some Toni Morrison. I feel like you really like it. <laughs> <laughs> he said you need to get me on some Toni Morrison. Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah. We're going to get some of that in here. Okay, well, so my last question for you, Tamaya, is what is your favorite band book? My favorite band book? Shadow Waters is my my favorite because I'm more like, I'm not the teenager who just watch movies that isn't, that's always about violence. I like movies about mermaids. So when I had read that book, I was like, okay, it's a mermaid in here. And it excited me. And I got very much like, I got into it and heavy also. Oh, heavy. I have read this one too. So He gave me this book and I have read it. And that's like the second favorite Mm. out of that, out of those two. Yeah. Shadow Waters, I really was invested in it because I love mermaids. Yeah. They might not be real, but to me, it's real. So listen, I would just... Listen, you can love a mermaid, okay? Don't let anybody tell you not to love a mermaid. What's not to love about <laughs> a mermaid? I love a mermaid. I sometimes, when I... I'll tell you a funny story. Sometimes when I'm in the bath, I'll lay all the way down and then let my hair sway side to side like I'm the little mermaid. Because you know in the movie, The Little Mermaid, Ariel, her hair like goes <laughs> in the bottom of the ocean. Anyways, so my point is love, love a mermaid. Tamaya, this was so great. Thank you so much for taking the time to talk with me and share your thoughts about what's going on. It's really nice to be able to talk to someone who's in the classroom right now. So thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for having me. Thank you again to Tamaya Wright and to Jared Woods for helping to coordinate this interview. After the break, we're going to hear from Azar Nafisi about her experiences in Iran and what she has learned from living under a totalitarian regime with regards to banning books and culture. Rebecca Carroll, The Bluest Eye. It is the single most beautiful, nuanced, and emotionally rigorous depiction of what it means to be a Black girl in America. This is R. Eric Thomas, and my favorite band book is Beloved by Toni Morrison. Hi, my name is R. Kwan, and I'm the author of The Incendiaries. And a band book that has been much on my mind lately is The Magnificent Heavy by Kiese Lehman. If you haven't read that yet, I so strongly and enthusiastically recommend that you do and that you buy it for your kids and you buy it for your kids' friends. Taking care of your health isn't always easy, but it should be at least simple. That's why for the last three plus years, I have been drinking AG1 every day, no exceptions. It's just one scoop mixed in water once a day, every day, and it makes me feel nourished and strong enough to tackle whatever else might come my way. That's because each serving of AG1 delivers my daily dose of vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. It's a powerful, healthy habit that's also powerfully simple. 
The nutritional insurance that AG1 provides has been vital to keeping me productive and focused. It helps me cover my bases in just about the time it takes to fill a glass of water, scoop in one scoop of AG1, and then drink it. So I don't know, 75 seconds? With the perfect mix of vitamins, probiotics, and nutrients from Whole Foods, I'm not stuck trying to assemble it all by myself, which would have considerably worse results. AG1 saves me all the time and hassle, and it has made such a difference in my overall mood and especially my gut health, among many other things. But don't take my word for it. Go ahead and try AG1. Let me know what you think. Whether you notice you're needing more nutrient support than you're used to, or you just need an edge for a tough workout, AG1 can be the ticket. If there's one product I had to recommend to elevate your health, it's AG1, and that's why I've partnered with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, start with AG1. Try AG1 and get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3, K2, and five free AG1 travel packs with your first purchase exclusively at drinkag1.com slash the stacks. That's drinkag1.com slash the stacks. Check it out. Across America, BP supports more than 275,000 jobs to keep energy flowing. Jobs like building grid-scale solar energy in Ohio and producing gas with fewer operational emissions in Texas. It's and, not or. See what doing both means for energy nationwide at bp.com slash investing in America. As you write your life story, you're far from finished. Are you looking to close the book on your job? Maybe turn a page in your career. Be Continued at the Georgetown University School of Continuing Studies. Our professional master's degrees and certificates are designed to meet you where you are and take you where you want to go. At Georgetown SCS, the learning never stops, and neither do you. Write your next chapter. Be continued at scs.georgetown.edu slash podcast. All right, everyone. Um, we are continuing our conversation about banned books today. And our guest today is Azar Nafisi. She is uh, the author of a book that has been translated and is so well-known and beloved called Reading Lolita and Tehran. And she has a brand new book coming out in March called Reading Dangerously, which is all about sort of the banning of books. So Azar, welcome to the Stacks. Thank you. Thank you for having me. I'm thrilled to get a chance to talk to you as someone you uh, grew up in uh, Iran and you are someone who's lived in a place where books were banned. And I feel like so much of the conversation here in America is, you know, uh-oh, what might happen to us? And I'd love to hear your perspective as someone who has lived under a totalitarian regime where books were outlawed. So I guess maybe do you want to just introduce yourself a little bit? Tell us a little bit about your experiences and then we'll sort of dive in. Uh, sure. What, one thing about what's going to happen to us, it depends upon us and yes. how we're going to react uh, to what is happening around us. Uh, now, I um, uh, was born in Iran and uh, was sent away to England and later went to United States to continue my education. And my, my timing is very bad. So I went back to Iran right uh, on the eve of the Islamic Revolution, where everything changed. And um, the first targets of any dictatorial mindset, including the totalitarian or the theocratic ones, are women, minorities, and culture. 
Right. And the books are one of the first things that they attack. And they attack through, uh, in Iran, they attack through censorship, through jailing writers, uh, even killing them. Uh, of course, everyone is familiar with the fatwa against uh, Salman Rushdie by the Ayatollah Khomeini. Uh, so I take uh, any indication of censorship very seriously. You know, you started off by saying it. what will happen depends on us. What what do we do? What What is the thing that we're supposed to do to tip the scales back <laughs> in our favor away from this? <laughs> Well, you know, uh, the mindset behind censorship is one that negates knowledge, doesn't Mm. want to know, wants to remain in ignorance. And the reason for it uh, is that um, books and knowledge, uh, art, literature, imaginative knowledge, as well as other kinds, uh, are all detrimental to such a, uh, are dangerous to, to such a mindset. Uh, because um, as opposed to elimination, which is what censorship does, it eliminates those uh, it deems uh, dangerous or threatening. Rather than elimination, it's an investigation. Mm. Both science and literature uh, are not after the known, but the unknown. And the basis for knowledge is curiosity. You want to know what you don't know. You want to experience not just yourself and those who agree with you and who are part of you, but those whom you don't know, those whom you want to investigate in order to know. So literature is the imaginative way of investigation. Science is the natural one. Uh, It goes after the natural world. Literature is that of the heart and the mind. Mm. And that is very dangerous to totalitarian mindsets. And why do you think that the fiction is more dangerous? Well, you know, fiction, I'm talking here about mindsets. The totalitarian mindset is the exact opposite of fiction. Mm. Wants to uh, impose one voice upon all voices. Now, a great writer, what they do to begin with is to give voice to all the characters in a book. Even the villain gets a chance to talk. Right. So fiction by nature, structurally, is democratic because it goes after multivocality. It goes after many perceptions of the world. And fiction is always about the other. We write and we read because we want to discover that other. And it do, and we discover first through curiosity, second through empathy, because empathy makes us realize not how different we are, although we are and we celebrate difference, but also simultaneously how alike we are. It reveals to us our common humanity. And all of these things that I said is exact opposite of the mentality behind censorship that goes after extermination and elimination and is worried about multiplicity of voices. It is always worried about the other, uh, about anyone or any idea that is 
strange to them or that is alien. Hmm. Do you feel like as someone, you know, you have, you've immigrated to America, you've lived outside of Iran. Do you feel like people hear you? Do you feel like people are listening to you? Or do you think that they think we're not going to be like that? We're a democracy. Like, do you, do you feel like people push back on, on your warnings? Well, uh, when I first came to uh, America, actually, at the end of reading Lolita, I had asked the question about the West, mm. that uh, quoting uh, Saul Bellow, and I'm just saying this from memory, uh, I had asked those who survived the ordeal of Holocaust, how will they survive the ordeal of freedom? Mm. Because I feel that freedom is an ordeal. You have to nourish it and guard it every single day. You mm. can't just rely on what others have achieved for us. I mean, for heaven's sake, um, uh, it's only a century since women got their rights to vote in this country. Right. You know, so all of these rights have been fought for and they need to be nurtured. Mm. And uh, I felt that uh, we had become too complacent in this country. We uh, preferred comfort, intellectual comfort, to uh, probing and to ambiguity, to uh, all the things that great literature demand of us. And I was very worried. The past few years, things have changed uh, because uh, of the crisis uh, brought on by you-know-who mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. Um, the way that we have been living these past uh, four or five years uh, have uh, made some people, at least, uh, more aware uh, that if we don't fight for our rights, no one is going to guarantee that they will be there tomorrow. And there is nowhere in the world that uh, is immune from totalitarian mindsets. I just want to remind people that at the heart of European civilization last century, we had communism and fascism. Mm -hmm. We had slavery in this country. So uh, it's something that had happened before. It can happen again. Yeah. And it will happen again. It will happen again if we don't stand up to it. Yeah. Yeah. I think, I mean, I, I love that idea of nurturing freedom. I think um, for me, what, what's sticking out when you said that, it reminded me so much of voting rights in this country um, and, and Black people getting the right to vote in the 1960s and us already being back in a place where our voting right protections yeah. are being taken away. And I think, you know, the way that so often it's framed in America is we are fighting for this right, right? Like it's a fight for this, right? But I sort of like the idea of more of it's a nurturing, that we have to constantly be treating it like we would a child, that it's a tender thing that needs to be taken care of. And yes, you fight for your children, you fight for the future, but also you tend to it. You do what you can do in every moment to make sure that it has what it needs to continue to grow and blossom. That is so beautiful, tending for your children, that kind of tenderness that is needed for anything that is worth living for. Right. Because fight runs out, right? The fight, that that fire, that can run out. And it does. And that's, I think, oftentimes when, you know, the quote unquote bad guys take over. It's when people have run out of the fight or they have gotten exhausted from it or it's been extinguished. But if you think of it as more of a nurturing 
I, I don't think there is a limit to how much we can nurture the things that are important to us. Actually, what you say is so right uh, um, about fiction, because fiction uh, is based not on judgment, but on understanding. Mm. Even if you want to defeat an enemy, you have to know him mm-hmm. in order to stand up to him. So understanding brings with it uh, tolerance, brings with it empathy, brings with it tenderness. And uh, that is what is missing in our society today, that that kind of understanding mm. uh, which um, makes us celebrate our common humanity. What do you say to the people who say, Okay, so a book gets banned in a school, but we live in 2022 and kids have access to the Internet. And is there really anything that is banned or that they can't have access to? What do you say to that kind of devil's advocate energy? Well, the the whole point uh, is not just that a book is banned and we can have access to it in other ways. It is uh, the obscenity of censorship that Mm. is at stake. It is not just uh, taking uh, Toni Morrison uh, off the shelves. Uh, uh, It means that uh, we accept this segregation. Mm. We accept this extermination of those we call enemy. Right. So it's not Um, to you. It's not about any one book. It's just about the idea of banning any book, period. Yes. Yes. It is the idea of banning any book. Yeah. I mean, I was I've been thinking a lot about the book Mao's by Art Spiegelman that has been banned in, I believe, Tennessee. And I think a lot about how I don't believe I've ever seen that Mein Kampf has been banned, you know, and I think that that's just it's just such an interesting counterpoint. (laughs) Like no one's talking about the fact that there are books that espouse the hatred that led to the Holocaust. And yet talking about the experiences of those who lived through it, that is a problem. And, you know, um, they brought as an excuse for banning mouse that uh, it shows a naked, naked mouse. Yeah. The obscenity of not getting the point that this mouse representing the Jews at that time uh, were stripped naked in order to be prepared for the gas chambers. Right. right. And to not want our children to know that bringing the excuse of sex yeah of the you know as if uh, they're talking about pornography it is so so in itself obscene right i've been thinking again about this book um i i'm jewish my family is jewish and i was mm. about i think 8 or 9 the first time i went to the holocaust museum in washington dc And Mm -hmm. I remember being, you know, my mom didn't let me go in every room, right? Like there were some places where she was like, don't, you don't need to see these, these images as, you know, a a grade school student. But I remember going and I remember seeing it. And in reading Mao's now, I think about how even that book, which has been so pivotal for so many people to understand the experiences of the Holocaust, there is all, it already is tamped down in the sense that they're mice, right? It already is making it more accessible to young people, which is fantastic. But the idea that this book is too much when it's not even the full picture of what happened, right? They are mice because it's easier to take it in 
as mice than it is to take it yeah. in as You're humans. Right. And I just, that has been something that's been sort of um, eating away at me a little bit because I think one of the things that I come back to as a black woman, as a Jewish woman, as a woman in America is that a lot of the things that are being banned or being challenged are things that I have experienced or my family has experienced, right? Yes. So it wasn't too uncomfortable you know, for my family members to be enslaved, but somehow it's too uncomfortable for you to have your children read about it a hundred and whatever years later. So I think about that a lot too. That is exactly how I feel. And, you know, what they are against in essence is knowledge. Right. And the reason we send our students, our children to uh, school and later to college is knowledge and the fact that we have we need to know for uh, for many reasons but two reasons come to my mind right now one is the fact that we need to know so that we won't repeat the same thing mm -hmm. and second is that we too are responsible for what happened and we are responsible to keep the memories mm -hmm. of those who were exterminated, bring them back to life through these stories. And Frank is one story, Mouse is another. Right. We need to reach out to our young people through different means and uh, to object to a naked mouse uh, is really... Uh, outrageous, right. to say the least. Yeah. I want to talk a little bit about your book, Reading Lolita in Tehran, because it is, you know, it's a classic book. People have read it the world over. And I sort of would love for you to explain how you decided to write this story, how you decided to, to share it and why it was important for you to share your experiences. Well, it goes back to Iran, actually. Um, I wanted to write about Nabokov, about how reading him changed my perception of reality in Iran and how my perception of reality in Iran changed the way I read him. But I soon realized in Iran that I won't be able to do that. And not just mm. I won't be able to talk about the politics of it, but I won't be able to talk about my personal life. Because I wanted to begin that book by saying, um, the first book I read by Nabokov was Ada. My boyfriend, Ted, gave it to me, and, and I couldn't do that. <laughs> I, uh, I would be called a slut and a whore um, uh, if I wrote uh, that kind of a book. So I did two things. One, I experimented by writing a novel, which not a novel, a book that was simply literary criticism about Nabokov. But I wanted mm. it to be, on another level, a criticism of totalitarian mindsets. I wrote that in Persian. It was later translated into English. But the second thing I did, I opened uh, a segment in my diary. And on top of it, I wrote things I have been silent about. And I started recording all the things that uh, we did underground, uh, the absurdity of it, like having going to concerts in Iran, having parties in Iran, and uh, reading Lolita in Tehran. So um, that was how the idea started in Iran. When I came back to the United States, one thing that horrified me 
was the way people looked at uh, Iran and at what they called the Muslim world. They only looked at it through the eyes of the extremists and they would call it our culture. While Islam, like Christianity, like Judaism, like all other religions has its extremes, but it also, uh, the majority of Muslim people are like the rest of us. They're just right. decent people wanting to live their lives, you know. Right. I hate that you even have to say that, but unfortunately you do. Which is yeah. Yes. Yeah, so I thought I'm going to write my book now for two reasons. One, because I have a voice now, which I didn't have when I was in Iran. And secondly, mm. I wanted to show the world that the Iranian people are also so involved in the world at the risk of being jailed and uh, harassed and uh, um, <laughs> flogged. They read the forbidden books that comes from there, and they can talk about them even better than some of their peers here in this country. I wanted mm. to show them that we need to be interested in one another. We can't just listen to the news and go by what the politicians say and say, this is Iran. Because they in Iran didn't do that. They mm. looked at America through the eyes of its golden ambassadors, its films, its art, its music, its literature. Uh, so that is what we should do about the rest of the world as well. Your new book, Reading Dangerously, can you tell the folks about it? It's out in March, and I'd love for you to be able to share sort of what this new project is. Well, uh, this new book started with um, uh, around, I mean, the idea for it started around uh, 2016 when I was becoming really uh, nervous and, and angry and outrageous about yes. the way things were going. And, I remember uh, 2016 well. <laughs> you remember it well. It was yes. a, a watershed, you know. And, yeah, exactly. And and I was starting to write letters to everyone, you know, um, in my diary, uh, including Mr. Trump. Uh, hmm. And at some point, I decided that my anger is not doing any good. And whenever that happens, I know that I have to write. And I wanted to write about this polarization that we have in our country today. The fact that we cannot talk to one another anymore, understand one another anymore, that it is all uh, elimination, a constant mm. interrogation and elimination. And so um, then I wanted to write it in the letter form. I didn't want it to be an essay. I wanted it to be more intimate. And uh, finally, going through a process, I uh, started writing five letters uh, to my father uh, about uh, the works of fiction, which were uh, focused on turbulent times, mm -hmm. to show why fiction is so important uh, when we live in times of crisis. Uh, so that yeah. is how it all started. 
I'm very excited to read this book. I'm very, very excited. In reading Lolita and Tehran, you're reading um, Nabokov and Fitzgerald and a a bunch of, you know, quote unquote, Western classics, I guess is what you would label them as um, with with uh, your students. And what do you think about people doing these sort of radical book clubs or, you know, I don't know, I I think, what do you call them? Subversive book clubs, book group. Is that what I think that's what you called it? You took it out of my mouth. Yeah, yeah. I mean, my God. <laughs> that is exactly what I feel right that now. That people should be doing that? that? Yes, definitely. How can they do it? How can they implement it? Like, what would you tell them to do? What did you do? What's the toolkit? What's the guide? Well, first of all, I think the process will show us the guide. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think in schools especially, we need subversive book groups that will read everything that they are told not to read. Mm. And with an open mind, the worst thing we can do with a book is to read a book because it talks about us and it confirms what we want it to confirm. We should be like Alice, run after that white rabbit (laughs) out of curiosity and jump down that hole without asking what that hole will bring for you. Mm. And that wonderland then will respond to you we can uh, create a center for these subversive groups online mm-hmm. uh, uh, that is my mission now after this book is to create these to create an online community for folks to implement them in their own spaces. yes i love that but well please let me know how i can help i'm interested i just have a few more quick questions for you one of them is sort of I mean, we've sort of been talking about this, but if you could distill down, what do you wish more people understood about the banning of books? Well, I want people to, you know, sometimes people dismiss books, uh, especially in this country. You know, indifference is one way you ban books and prevent them from being alive. One other way of doing it is indifference. Mm. Uh, through not paying attention to them. And so what I want to see more is to understand that imagination, it is not just reading this book or that book or escaping from reality. Imaginative knowledge is a way of perceiving the world, relating to the world, and changing the world. Mm. Through reading great books, uh, we gain a new perspective on life. We talked about voting at the beginning of um, uh, this session. How can anyone vote fairly without having knowledge of one's own history and culture and the history and culture of of other people? Mm. Okay, here's my last question for you. What is your personal favorite band book? I am so uh, promiscuous <laughs> when it comes to books. I always say that. I never know what to say. Well, Mouse actually uh, is one of my favorite band books. Um, I wrote about um, uh, Toni Morrison's uh, Bluest Eye mm. in my my new book. And that one is one of my favorites. Yeah. Uh, uh, it goes so deep into the question of uh, racism and, and sexism. 
Yeah. I love that book. It's an incredible book. It's an incredible book. Well, thank you so much for being here. This has been such a delightful experience for me and conversation to get to talk with you, even though unfortunately the subject is horrible. Um, but I appreciate your time and your work and your warning. And I, I am heeding it. I'm listening. Um, and I hope that other folks are as well. So thank you so much for being here. Thank you so much. I love this conversation. It gives me hope. Yay. Thank you. And everyone else, we will see you in the stacks. Thank you all so much for listening and thank you to today's guests for joining me. If you like what you hear, be sure to subscribe to The Stacks wherever you listen to your podcast and join The Stacks Pack on Patreon at patreon.com slash The Stacks. Remember that The Stacks book club pick for February is I Live a Life Like Yours by Jan Gru and we will be discussing the book on the podcast on Wednesday, February 23rd with Tessa Miller. I want to say a huge, huge thank you to Kiese Lehman, Sam Pinkleton, Andrew Russell, Cree Miles, Joseph Papa, Taryn Roeder, and Jackson Musker for helping me make this week possible. I also want to say an even bigger thank you to our editor, Christian Duenas, for working quadruple time to make this week possible. Everything you heard in today's episode can be found in the link in the show notes. For more from The Stacks, follow us on social media at The Stacks Pod on Instagram and at The Stacks Pod underscore on Twitter and check out our website, thestackspodcast.com. Our graphic designer is Robin McCrite and our theme music is from Tagiragis. The Stacks is created and produced by me, Tracy Thomas.